Hey, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> we're in part two of a series called Follow. We're going through the book of Luke, and we're in chapter six today. Now, I want to, um, uh, we're going to be starting from verse 12. I, I want to start this morning with a video clip. Now, this video clip is from a movie called Semi-Pro starring Will Smith. Uh, not Will Smith. I, <laughs> I wish it was Will Smith. <laughs> Will Ferrell. And, uh, it's <clears throat> and it's not a movie I recommend people to watch. And that's a huge difference, Will Smith and Will Ferrell. Um, uh, so I did my best to edit out some of the things, the content that might be offensive. <laughs> but it, it sets up the sermon perfectly, so I want you to take a look at the screen. It's about a two-minute clip, so let's take a look. Completely fictional. This is not a real story, but this is the invention of the alley-oop, okay? And people didn't know what to do because they'd never seen it before. And I tried to look in to see, like, where did the alley-oop come from, and they, you know, there's rumors out there, legends of how it started, how, like, probably in the NCAA and all that kind of stuff. I don't know where it started, but this is... Will Ferrell's take on how it started. And when they did the first alley-oop, they didn't know what to do with it, right? They were like, is that a foul traveling? I don't know, right? And they had to have a discussion about it and, and change the game. Um, the alley-oop was a game changer. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Now, the reason why this is important what we're talking about today is because Jesus was the game changer when it came to understanding God. Now, what I mean by that is this. There were a few people back then who showed up on the scene and approached this God thing from a little different angle, changing a few tactics and strategies and, you know, maybe a little something here and there. Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, he didn't just look at the situation and look at it from a different angle or anything like that. He completely changed the game to a point where people didn't know what to do with it. They looked at Jesus and said, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's a foul. No, that's a double foul. I don't know. That's, that's a sin. That's, that, that must not be right. And people didn't know how to categorize what Jesus was doing. Now, to us, 2,000 years later, we look back at the story of Jesus and say, duh, of course he would do that. But I want to put you guys into the minds and the eyes of the people who lived back then because to them, it was completely new what Jesus was doing. Okay, so today we're going to start from chapter 6, verse 12, because this is I'm going to try to point out some things in this story that may seem normal to you, but was groundbreaking back then. It was a game changer, okay? So let's start from verse 12. On uh, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Now, we'll see this over and over again in the book of Luke, and Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Prayer is one of the main themes of both of his writings. Before something big happens, before Jesus makes a big decision, there's always a time of prayer, and this isn't the point of the sermon today, but it's worth noting that prayer was incredibly, enormously important to everything that Jesus did. Okay, so by the way, in the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned in almost every single chapter. So that's how important it is. Okay, so Jesus went out to pray. Why? Because he's about to do something really, really big. Okay, let's take a look what that is. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now, if you've been going to church for a while, or maybe you heard of church, or you heard of people talk about Jesus, you know that Jesus has 12 disciples. In this passage, Luke reveals for the first time that Jesus had 12. He actually picked out 12 people. So far in this story, we've seen him pick, you know, Levi, the tax collector. We've seen him pick Peter. We see him pick a few people here and there, right? This is the first time it's revealed that he picked 12 people. And we'll get back to that number 12 in a second because 12 has a very significant meaning back then. But let's list the 12 people. This is the next verse. <clears throat> Simon, whom he named Peter, <coughs> his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. 
that's his reputation by the time that this story is read. Everybody knew who Judas was, so they called him the traitor. Okay, so like I said, there's 12 people in this group. Now, if you were one of the 12 and you're, you're counting, you're like, oh, there's three of us right now. Oh, there's a fourth guy. There's a fifth guy. Jesus, is this it? Are we going to have more? Like, oh, there's a seventh guy. There's a ninth guy. There's a tenth guy, eleventh guy, and twelfth guy. Any, any more, Jesus? And he's like, nope, we're stopping at 12. At that point, something goes off in the minds of these Jewish people back then because 12 was a significant number. And to explain to you what that is, I want to show you a quick little diagram here, okay? So <coughs> in Genesis chapter 12, okay, so in, Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis, there is this group, the world is falling apart. So, G, so God, his strategy, his tactic is, I'm going to change the world from the inside out. Rather than me trying to change the world from the outside, saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, <laughs> he decides, I'm going to pick one guy, his name be, he's going to be Abraham, and he is going to start changing the world from the inside out. Okay, so that was his strategy, and that's been his strategy since this time in the Bible. So he picks Abraham, and he gives him a promise. Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'm going to bless you so you could go and bless the world, but you're not going to do it alone. You're going to have a family. You're going to have a whole group of people. And not only that, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land. We're going to call that the headquarters, HQ. So next slide. HQ is going to be right there. Okay, and you're like, that could be anywhere. <laughs> I just realized it could be anywhere. Um, that's, that blue part is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, so this is present-day Palestine where Israel is today. This is, this is the land I'm going to give you. Okay, so you and your people, at the time, it's just Abraham, okay? You and your people are going to go and change the world from here. Like, the world is going to know about me from here. The world's going to be blessed from here. This is the starting point. So Abraham and his wife Sarah are like, okay, well, there's just two of us right now. How are we going to change the world? Just the two of us. But, next slide, Abraham has a kid, right? Isaac, and Isaac has a kid. His name is Jacob, a.k.a. his name changes to Israel. Now, <clears throat> at this point, they're like, I know God promised us that we're going to have a big family so that we could go and bless the world, but right now there's only the three of us, or four of us, depending on, you know, if you count their wives and their slaves and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And so, by some miracle, Jacob has more, more than one kid. He actually has 12. Next slide. He actually has 12 kids. He has, like, multiple wives, you know, but he has 12 kids. Now, this is where the number 12 comes in for the first time, 12. <coughs> And so these people, these 12 people, they eventually make their way to this land, okay? And when they do, next slide, they occupy the land and they split it into 12 sections like that. And these, tri these sections are called tribes. So the entirety of Israel consists of 12 tribes. It's, a way, it's another way of saying the United States has 50 states. The difference is George Washington didn't have 50 kids and the 50 kids didn't go to the United States and split it up, okay? <clears throat> But the situation here is Israel. Every time you hear the number 12, you think, oh, that's Israel. Now, this, it's not just here that this is mentioned. In the book of Exodus, Moses brings all of Israel, there's millions of people now, and he pulls them out of Egypt because they were slaves, and he's carrying them out. And halfway through that journey, God speaks to Moses on this mountaintop. And so he's like, I need to tell my people. So he comes down the mountain, and he tells all his people, this is what the Lord said. And this is the response. Next slide. Exodus 24, verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, <clears throat> they responded with one voice. So all of Israel, the whole crowd right there, is saying, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Everybody. And Moses is so like, touched by it. Like, oh, wow, look at all these people following the Lord. This is so cool. This is a, this is a momentous occasion. I need to do something so that, the, that we can always look back to this day and realize that this is a big deal. So what does he do? 
Well, next verse. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said, and he got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up how many stone pillars? Twelve. Why? Because the twelve represents the twelve tribes of Israel. He's like, I'm going to build this thing here because this thing right here is going to represent how we all this, on this day say that we will do what the Lord told us to do, right? And I'm going to put 12 pillars there because this represents everybody of Israel. And we have examples of 12 come out later on the Bible too. Deuteronomy chapter 1. They're about to enter that promised land that I showed you on the map earlier, right? They're about to enter into it. But before they did it, they were kind of like, before we get in there, we want to check that place out. So Moses says, okay, we're going to send some people, some spies over there to check it out to see how it is. You know how many people Moses sent? Twelve. Why? Because he wanted a representative from each of the tribes to go in there to check it out for themselves. Um, In in the story of one of the prophets, his name is Elijah, he rebuilds his altar, and around it he puts up twelve pillars. Again, why? Because he wants to represent all the people of Israel. So twelve throughout the Bible represents the people of Israel, but if I were to say people of Israel, that would not be completely true, okay? Because 12 doesn't just represent the nation of Israel. It represents this. 12 represents the people of God. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the people of God. So every time they say 12 this, 12 that, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, every time you think about it, they're thinking, oh yeah, the people of God, the people of God, the people of God, the people of God. 12 represents the people of God. Now, going back to the book of Luke, Jesus comes down this mountain. Well, well, he's on top of the mountain right now. He picks 12 people, and the minute he stops at 12, all the disciples are looking at each other like, he picked 12. What is Jesus trying to say? What is the message that Jesus is trying to convey to everybody? Jesus is saying, looking back at our history of Israel, God's people, we didn't do a really good job. We didn't do a good job. We, we kind of messed up a lot along the way. So what we need to do is we need to restart this God movement. So in other words, when he picked 12 disciples, Jesus was making a huge statement, and the statement is this. You guys are now people of God 2.0, right? Like, we're going to change the game. And the first step in changing the game is by first letting the world know that we're going to restart this whole thing. We got to restart this thing because we made a lot of mistakes in the past. Let's start with a fresh canvas. We're going to start new. It's like, are you guys ready? And all 12 are like, yeah, we're kind of nervous, but this is a big deal. But okay, yeah, yeah, we're on board. We're going to do it. Okay, so the new movement starts. Okay, as people of God 2.0, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? What's the first thing we're going to do? So Jesus is like, well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to get down from this mountain. It's like, okay, let's get down from this mountain. So he says, next verse, he went down with them and stood on a level place. So he went down the hill, and now he's in a level place. And the disciples are following Okay, let's see. What are we going to do, Jesus? What's the first thing we're going to do, right? Now that we know this is 2.0, we're part of the new revolution. Like, God, this God thing, yeah, it didn't work so well in the past, but now it's going to really work out. Okay, so what is this new thing you're going to do? So looking around, and then a few people approach Jesus. They're like, our first customer, right? This is our first chance to do something brand new. This is a game changer. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, and Jerusalem. Now, I, I stopped the sentence there because I want to show you right here that this is normal. Every person in the Old Testament, when they came out and they were about to do ministry, there were people of Jewish descendant around them. People from Jerusalem, people from Judea. These people are Jews. No surprise there that Jesus would do this. 
But look at the next sentence. And from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon, these places are not Jewish places. This is not a Jewish place. These people came from places that are not Jewish, okay? And they, and, and they came close to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Okay, in the past, and God, people of God 1.0, they only cared for their own kind because they were the people of God. If you're a Jewish, you're the people of God, right? And because they were the most important, they were the priority for you, you only took care of the people who were within your race. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, Jesus, the first thing that they do, they, he picks out his 12, making a statement that he's doing a brand new thing. He comes down the mountain, and then he sees, oh, look, the Jewish people, this is normal. Who are they? Jesus, what are you going to do with them? Well, let's see what Jesus does. Next verse. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus heals not just the people who are Jewish, but people who are not Jewish also. There are actually people who are living in the land, you know, in Israel, who even consider these people to be enemies, and Jesus heals them. This is the first indication of what Jesus was up to. This was a game changer. Like I said, from today looking back, you're like, yeah, of course you're going to help everybody because everybody's, you know, they all have value. They're all worth something. They're, they're human beings. Back then, that's not what they saw. That's not how they saw the world. They said, here's our people, so let's heal our people, and those people, we could let them suffer and die. This was the first step that Jesus was taking to eradicate racism. This is like a game changer, okay? So he starts to heal the people over here, and his disciples are watching this thinking like, hey, Pete, is, is, this, is, is this okay? It's like, I, I don't know, I don't know. What, what do you think, Bart? It's like, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? I, I don't know. Like, what, should, should we, yeah, Bartholomew, that's Bart, okay. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, what do we do? What do we do? And so Jesus sees the discomfort in their eyes, and then he turns to them, and he gives them the first sermon that's recorded for us in the book of Luke. Now, before I go into this, I want you to keep this in mind. What you're about to hear is going to sound very similar to another sermon that Jesus preached in another biography in the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you notice, this is not taking place on the mountain. This is on a plain. So people call this the Sermon on the Plain, and there's another big difference between the two. Sermon on the Mount, or, you know, you heard the Beatitudes, that sermon was preached to everybody who was there. This sermon is specifically given to people who are already following Jesus. So there's a big difference. It sounds similar, but because the setting and the people who are being preached to are different, it takes on a whole different meaning. And so I'm going to walk you through that today because this is one of, like, Jesus' greatest sermons, and it'll blow your mind. It blew my mind. It might blow your mind. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> So he sees this whole thing taking place, right? He's like, disciples are acting like, what, what, what did Jesus just do? He's doing something weird that we've never seen before. Game changer. He's like, okay, like, sit down. I'm going to give you a sermon right now. And so this is his sermon. Looking at the disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, the one in Matthew, starts off by saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. This one, he just flouts says poor. He's talking about, like, if you're not, if you don't have any money, right, if you're pushed out by society, by the way, the poor, the word poor there doesn't mean financial, uh, lacking money in that sense. The word there also implies people who are cast down in society. So it includes not just the poor people, but also, um, like, tax collectors. They had a lot of money, but they were also considered to be, quote, unquote, poor. Okay, so Jesus sits them down and says, if you are poor, 
Yours is the kingdom of God. And when you hear it, the way that you're reacting right now is exactly how they reacted. They're like, how does that make sense? The last time I checked, when I have money, then I'm pretty well off. But you're saying that if I'm poor, then the kingdom of God, okay, okay, just move on to the next point, Jesus, because I don't understand what you're saying. Jesus is like, okay, let's move on to the next point. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Really, Jesus? Yeah. It's like, okay, let's keep going. Blessed are you when people hate you. Really? Yeah, yeah, keep going. Okay. When they exclude you. Huh? It's like, yeah, okay. And insult you. Oh, okay. And reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And they're like, wait a minute. Are you sure, Jesus, this, this movement is so different that you're like, it's opposite day or like what's going on here now what i want you to know is this he, well, i'll tell you what he's not saying this is not a if then statement he's not saying if you are poor then you will be blessed or if you're hungry now then you'll be you know like it's not if then because if it is then what you need to do right now is empty your pockets and throw your money out into the garbage so you will be blessed right that's not the, that's not what jesus is saying he's not saying today you're not going to eat anything because when you're hungry then, you know, you're, you're going to be blessed. Like, he's not saying that. It's not an if-then statement. So this isn't something you're supposed to be achieving. You're not supposed to be like, okay, well, starting next week, I'm going to try really hard to be insulted by people because Jesus said I'll be blessed if I did that. This is not the point of the sermon. Okay, so what I like to call this sermon, okay, the way that, um, that is interpreted by a lot of people is this. I call it the set free to be. Set free to be. It kind of rhymes, so that's why I like it. Okay, Okay, remember, this is spoken to a bunch of followers. And so that means he's not, this is not a pitch. He's not, he's not saying, how would you like to be a follower of Jesus? Because if you do, this is what's in store for you. That's not what he's doing here. He's talking to the people who are already committed to following Jesus, okay? And at that point, he's giving them this revolutionary way of thinking. So let me put the list here of everything that Jesus talked about. Poor, hunger, you know, pe- those who weep, people who, those who hate you exclude you, insult you, reject you, accuse, uh, accuse you of evil. Now, what are the opposites of these? Because the things that are opposite of this are the things that we all like. Like, we like to be rich. We don't want to be hungry. We want to be full, right? We, want, we don't want to be weeping. We don't want to be happy. We want to uh, we we be liked. We, want to, uh, we don't want to be excluded. And so a guy named Tim Keller, if you don't know if he is, he's like a really popular, smart Christian dude. Okay, he said that the, the things, the opposite of these things on this list are all contributed to these four things. Like, for example, if you're rich, that's a sign of power right? If, if you're not hungry, that's a sign of comfort, right? So everything on this list, okay, is the opposite of these four things on this list. And what we discover is every dream that you have, like you're working really hard. Why? Well, because I want to have more money. Well, why? So I could have comfort or so I could have power or so I could be successful or like why, do you matter, why does it matter for you so much that you maintain a good reputation? Well, because I want to have recognition, Everything that we aim and strive for fits into these four categories. Power, comfort, success, recognition. These are the four things that we all strive for. Why do we study hard? Well, so one day I could have recognition for getting my whatever degree that you're going for. Or one day I will, this degree will help me make a lot of money and that's going to bring me a lot of comfort. Or one day, you know, what I'm doing right now is going to be my key to success. Everything that we do, right, is because of these four things. Everything that we do, four things. These are four things. Why do you wake up in the morning to do the things you do? These four things, okay? 
Now, what Jesus is saying in this, in this Sermon on the Plain, okay, is he's basically saying, you, okay, we, all of us, we, we are all prisoners to power, comfort, success, and recognition. If God calls you to do something, let's just say, I'm not saying this is for you, okay, but let's just say he calls you to do missions in a very, really dangerous place. And you're like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll do everything that Jesus called me to do. But the things that usually keep you back from doing it are one of these four things, isn't it? Or you see somebody who's hungry and you're like, I want to help this person out. I want to be generous. And you want to give them what you have. But then you're like, but that conflicts with my desire to be rich because I'm giving away my riches to somebody. That might make me uncomfortable. That might make me feel less powerful. That might make me feel less successful. You see something wrong at work and you want to bring it up, but you know that if you bring up, you know, if you're fighting for justice and you say the thing that's most unpopular because everybody else is somehow benefiting from the injustice in the workplace, if you bring it up, well, there goes your reputation. There are things that God has called you to do that you hesitate from doing because of these four things. Now, I want to make this really clear. None of these four things are wrong. It's okay to have success. I hope you're successful. It's okay to have recognition. I hope you have a good reputation. It's okay to, be have, to, to have power. I hope you become a CEO one day, you know, or some top executive. Comfort is okay. Buy that couch, okay, and just sit there and binge watch your favorite Netflix show. It's okay to do those things. Each of these things are good things, but if these things hold you back from doing the thing that God, what God has called you to do, then it becomes an idol. It becomes that thing that holds you back from doing the things that God has called you to do. And Jesus is saying this in his sermon. He's saying, if you are poor and you're okay with it, it doesn't get in the way of you doing the thing that I called you to do, then you are blessed. If hunger, if, if what I called you to do is, is going to put you into this place of hunger, and you're okay with it because you know that one day you're going to be filled again, then blessed are you. What he's saying is we are all prisoners to these four things. And if you're okay letting go of those four things for the sake of my kingdom, then you are blessed. In other words, blessed are those who are free to be God's people. Like I said, I hope you're successful. I hope you have power. I hope you have, you know, I hope you have all these things. And I will pray for you that you will have these things. But I will not pray that you have these things and these things will become your idol to a point where you're holding yourself back from doing the things that God has called you to do. Oh, I want to invite my friend to church, but I don't want to, be, I don't want to have that reputation of being that guy that invites people to church because those people are usually weird, you know, right? Again, there's something that's holding you back. Oh, I want to be more generous, but, 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 but I've been saving for that awesome whatever, you know? Certain things are holding you back. God has spoken to you in your heart to do certain things, and there's certain things that are holding you back from doing the thing that God called you to do. And it's usually one of these four things. And so he ends this part of blessings in verse 23. He says this, Rejoice in that day, and that day, he's not referring to the day when you die. Okay, he's not talking about that. He says, Rejoice in that day. He's like, That day when you discover for yourself, oh my goodness, I'm no longer a slave to these things anymore. That day when you realize that these things aren't holding you back from doing the things that God's called you to do, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. See, like, if you read the Old Testament, if you look at all the prophets that were successful, they did exactly what God called them to do, they laid on the line these four things. 
Some of them ended up being poor. Some of them ended up being really unpopular with the people around them. Some of these people ended up being hungry, but that didn't stop them from doing the things that God called them to do. And so Jesus says, the day that you realize that these four things are no longer holding you back from doing the things that God calls you to do, that is the day you realize you're in good company with the great prophets of the past. Then Jesus changes gears. And he says, let me tell you the opposite of the people who are blessed. He lists a few things that he calls woes. But woe to you. And the word woe there in the Greek means like, warning, warning, okay. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Next verse. Woe to you who laugh. And the word here, laugh, the Greeks, Greek you know, linguists, they will tell you right away that the word laugh, laughter right there is, is actually a negative kind. It's like gloating. When you win and somebody loses, you're like, nah, I won and you lost. He's like talking about that kind of laughter, okay? Woe to you who laugh for now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So he flips it around and says, if you are a prisoner to these things, you're enjoying life right now because you have those four things and you hold on to them really tight, right? If that's you, it's like, well, warning, warning. Because at the end of your life, you're going to look back and you realize, like, why, why did I waste my life? So Jesus is saying, be careful. If you're going to be a follower of me, you need to be people who are willing to let go of these four things for the sake of my kingdom. The guy I talked about, Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller, this is what he said. Christians are no longer controlled by the things that the world thinks are so critical. We're not controlled by power, success, comfort, or recognition. There's a blessedness that doesn't have to do with circumstances. Maybe you came across some Christians in your life when everything is going bad, but for some reason you look into their eyes and you, you realize that, that there's joy in their lives, and you're like, how did that happen? Please explain to me how everything, is, everything, everything in your life is falling apart, but you're still okay. How, how, do, how do you do that? And they're like, I, I can't explain it. I, I just feel blessed. What? <laughs> yeah. This is what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to start looking at the world differently. I just cured some people that you would never even have thought of curing because they're not Jewish, right? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for my sake and the kingdom's sake? so that you could care for the people that the rest of the world has shunned away. Are you willing to do that? Because that will make you unpopular. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for employment and that employer finds out that you've been dealing with people from Sidon and from Tyre, if that's you, you might not get a job anymore. But for the sake of the kingdom, are you willing to let go of that future? You might go hungry because you can't get that job anymore. Are you willing to go hungry for the kingdom of God? God has called you to do the right thing, to love on the people who are unlovable, to care for the people who people will turn their backs on, and that might cost you everything. Are you willing to follow me now? And he says, if you say yes to that, it's like, then you are truly blessed because that is how the world's going to change. And so there's this understanding of free versus slave. Free versus slave. I'll give you some examples. Let's just say there's a person who these, there's two people who are in a company and both of them are about to lose their job, right? And because their performance uh, at the workplace isn't as stellar as they thought it would be, right? The person who has the old worldview, the worldview of saying like, these four things are the most important things, power, comfort, success, recognition, these four things are the most important things to me. 
And when he goes into the review, this person is going to do everything possible to this person to maintain that job. Why? Because losing this job will take away the power, the comfort, the success, and the recognition, right? So they will lie. They will do everything they can. They'll throw other people under the bus for the sake of keeping this job. Whereas a person who is a follower of Jesus, I'm not saying all Christians are this way. I'm saying all Christians should eventually be this way, right? They would say, I'm not tied down to power, comfort, success, recognition. I'm here to bring heaven on earth. So I will be honest. Or, or think about people who are being blamed of something. If power, comfort, success, and recognition are really important to you, you will do everything you can to shift blame to somebody else. It wasn't me, it was that person. Whereas a person who understands that they're no longer tied, that they're, they're no longer slaves to, to, to those four things, they will look at it and say, yeah, that was my fault. I'll take the blame for it. Why? Well, because I'm not tied down to power, comfort, success, recognition. We would probably become more honest as a society if we all lived according to being free from the four things. So the question I have for you is this. I'll list the four things again right here. Which of these things do you need to be set free from? Because God has been speaking to you to do the right thing. He's been asking you to ask for forgiveness. You're like, but if I ask ask for forgiveness, that means that I'm admitting wrong and that would destroy my reputation. He's like, are you willing to let go of reputation for the sake of doing the right thing for the kingdom of God? God has been calling you to say, I want you to go on this mission. There's people who really need to hear about me. Yeah, but you know, India, I heard, is the armpit of the, of the earth. <laughs> my friend who's a missionary always says, she's like, yeah, India is the armpit of the earth. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to go this smelly, it's stinky, it's hot, right? Are you willing to let go of comfort for the sake of doing what's right? There's something that's happening that's, that's unjust, and you know that it's be the most unpopular thing for you to point it out. But God has called you. You need to do something about it. Are you willing to let go of being liked by the people around you for the sake of kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Plain is a sermon about this is what the ride entails, fellas. We're about to go on this journey of changing the world. You guys are the people of God 2.0, right? And that's going to require you to change the way you, not just the way you look at the situation, it's going to require us to change the game altogether. And Jesus will look at them and say, and so who's in? And all the disciples said, Yes, we're in. There is one person at the end of the story who feels like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to play this game anymore. I actually like riches. I actually like comfort. His name was Judas Iscariot. He was looking out for himself, and he decided to betray Jesus for the sake of holding on to those four things. It's very crucial. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you have to learn to let go of these four things. But you're like, Kotz, I don't know how we could do that. Uh, I don't know. Like, sometimes I invite friends to church, right? And it comes time to worship. And I feel like God's asking me to raise my hands. But then my friend might judge me, so I put my hands down. But maybe I'll raise it halfway up because they won't be judged as much, you know, right? And again, God is calling you. He's like, is your reputation that important? And if that's you, then maybe it's not a matter of putting more energy and more willpower into the situation. It's not basically saying, well, starting tomorrow, I'm going to try extra hard to let go of these four things because truth be known, our human efforts really don't help in this issue. What is really needed is power from God. 
you'll find out over and over and over as Luke writes the book of Luke and writes the book of Acts, you'll see that it's the Spirit of God that gives us the strength to do the things that we have a time uh, that we fail for the things that we fail over and over at. So, so he's like, you got to make sure that you pray before you do these things. This is why Jesus starts off this passage by saying he prayed through the night before he picked his 12. Why? Because he knew that in order to accomplish this, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question again is, which of these things do you need to be set free from? And if you are like, all four cots, I need, I need help on all four, then what I want to do for you today is I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give you strength to slowly let go of these things that's been holding you back from doing the things that God called you to do. Like I said, these four things are not bad. I hope you go to work tomorrow, right? I hope you make some money. I hope, you know, you, I hope that you have a good reputation. But I don't want you to hold on to it so tight that when God calls you to do the right thing, that these th- four things don't become bad things in your life. So let me pray for all of us. Let's pray.